Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak. And our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about an important and frankly complex issue, yeah. uh, the balance between inclusion and diversity. Oftentimes these things come together, but the reality is they also need to be balanced. Yeah. And we both learned that in through some personal experiences. <laughs> well, if you're referring to what I think you're referring to, I, uh, I have been in a few environments where I was not the majority, I was the minority. Yeah. And that's and I'm a white male. So granted in many ways right now in America that's the group that seems like you're in power and you need to yeah. be careful. But um, years ago, this would have been the 1980s. Uh, I was driving with a group of people in Budapest, Hungary, mm-hmm. over to Oradia, Romania. So we're crossing the line. Both were communist countries at the time, 1987, 88. But um, we got to Checkpoint Charlie, which was very serious, sobering. You know, this was, uh, and uh, you know, armed guards everywhere. Yeah. And they're watching everything, and they have bugged the air, all conversations, you know, in terms of listening in. And I am just so American. I'm not proud of that. At the I mean, I just, I, I started just saying, well, now what you, what you need to know is back in the back, you know what, and I'm going on. And he says, sir, you need to. You need to go. You need what you need to do is come through here. To, I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll just back up. I and and by the way, my mom's in the car too. So I've got college students that I'm you know serving this mission trip with, and and my mom and she is now laughing, and I'm just reaching around, wheeling that car around, and our advisor before we went over said, now you're going to a communist country. You're going to want to be very careful. Don't draw any attention to yourself. <laughs> It's the opposite of what I did. So anyway, I'm the wrong guy. Subtle is not my middle name, and I they I do all kinds of attention. We ended up having long conversations with Checkpoint Charlie Gard. I'm sure you but did. But we did make it through after I, 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 you know, finally convinced them I'm actually harmless if if you'll let me in. So. Yes. But you had your own, haven't you? I Been did. in a different culture in a different environment. Yeah, it was actually another story in another time, but it was about the same thing because okay. uh, this I was actually at an airport in India. And okay. it was a, a summer I spent in India. I'd been there for about a month. And one of the things I learned early in my time in India, we, um, if you know or you spend time around Indian people, you often see that sort of head movement that yes, they do. Yeah. Some people call it a head bob. Yeah. Uh, and what I learned is uh, the complexity of that yes, movement yeah. in their culture and what it stands for and what it means. And yeah. uh, so it can mean yes, it can mean no, it can be okay, it can mean I understand you, it can mean say it again, it can mean so many things. And it took a really long time for me to try and learn it. But I got my practice at a very uh, stressful situation, which was I was coming uh, to the airport, trying to get on a plane, and I put my my bag on the conveyor belt to go through security, you know, much yeah. like we do in the States. And the guy on the other side of the conveyor belt standing sort of like between you and your bag on yes. the conveyor belt yeah. is standing there with an AK-47. Yeah. He's a big dude, got the military uniform. Yeah. And I ask him a question in English and he stares at me and I realize there is zero communication, communication available to yeah. me in yeah. this moment. And, um, so I, I'm thinking about what do I do in this situation? You know, I'm a, I'm in a, I'm in his country. He's not in my country, right? That's so right. Yeah. I'm the one that's got to figure out how to communicate to him. And uh, what I end up doing is I point at my bag and I do the little head movement thing <laughs> oh, because I'm basically oh, oh, yeah. asking, is it okay for me? Can to, I get my bag? Yeah. And he 
does the same thing back to me, which means, yeah, it's okay. And I'm able to go for that bag and not worry about, you know, yeah. have I stepped yeah. on the grounds. But I just think about if that was the first interaction I had had coming to the country, I would not have known what to do. Yes. I wouldn't have had that. But it was merely just through immersion over time that I was able to break down that barrier and actually yeah. engage with that person. Andrew, but, I would say it's safe to say that it's really good for every be- everybody, including you and I, to be in environments where we are a minority. Yeah. Where we are people that we get the feeling, oh, I see what it's like when I don't see people like me yeah. that talk like me, in, yeah. hence in your case, yeah. and I've got to figure out a way. It's extra work. Yeah. These well, are cross-cultural relationships. It absolutely is true, and and you and I are in a privileged position yes, to we are, be able sure. to, we have to seek out a place to yeah. be not a, a minority, where some people are a minority in almost every situation they're in. Um, so this is an important conversation where we all need to ask, how do we get ourselves yes. to the position where we can receive some of this, uh, some of the truth in this conversation. So everybody listening knows the day we're living in, this conversation on inclusivity and, di- and diversity is just a big one. It's yeah. just gotten even bigger over the last couple of years. Um, and so we want to talk today about how do we do this balancing act. And today we're going to talk about the balancing act that maybe you haven't thought of, maybe you have, but we just think it's an important conversation to have for the next generation. Absolutely. Um, so, Andrew, did you happen to hear about how Columbia University in New York handled their graduation uh, ceremonies this past school year? I'm guessing it included masks or distancing or virtual something. Actually, a little bit, but but they had so many of them, it was true for some and not for others. Most of them were virtual, so that's not what I'm talking about. Huh. They did something very different that I, I, I know was well-intentioned and I actually think was very good. However, it gives us a picture of this balancing act I think we have to strike. Yeah. So I'm talking about the administrator's decision, the administration's decision, to host six separate graduation ceremonies uh, based on the graduate's income level, race, ethnicity, and gender uh, preference. Interesting. Okay? Yeah. So you can see they're, they're very relevant for the day they're in Yeah. because we have so, so many different kinds of people graduating from any given college at any given moment. So my concern has nothing to do with the pandemic. It's, you know, they were virtual, and my, my, my focus is actually on the school's attempt to be personally relevant to Native, Asian, Latin, and Black students who graduated at the end of April and, and then early May. There was even another ceremony, an FLI graduation for first generation or low income. FLI is first generation, low income, mm. because those students are a little different than yeah. maybe the upper middle class kid that went on four scholarships and, you know, just smoothed his way or her way through Absolutely. Um, the 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 uh, graduation. Absolutely. And frankly, there's nothing wrong with them doing that because you think about their desire in that moment, right? Yes, they correct. wanted to create an experience where everybody felt like something was there for them, which is correct. not a bad thing whatsoever. Yeah. In fact, they even had a lavender graduation ceremony for LGBTQ plus uh, community. So everybody felt, ah, I'm with people that I, that I identify with. I actually applaud this inclusivity. What, yes. a, what extra work they, they did to make sure everybody, low income, high income, whatever, yep. had their comrades to yep. graduate next to. Absolutely. The advantages are very clear, and their intentions, I'm sure, were felt by families and alum and, and graduates. Um, the statement Columbia University is making is timely. 
um, society is finally acknowledging minority groups publicly in these ceremonies and allowing them to feel like the majority of students have felt like this since the beginning. Absolutely. You and I graduated with people that look like us. Yeah. I mean, I did. Yeah. So um, so I applaud this for sure. Absolutely. Um, if, the Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you can imagine it being 10 years ago and this wasn't happening. I'm a first... Uh, first-generation college student graduating, and the person who's delivering the speech at my graduation ceremony is some academic who's yeah. never been in my situation, yeah. and so I just don't feel a connection yeah. there. And so it is. There's something really beautiful yeah. about putting somebody in front that says, hey, I know what you've been through, and I can speak to it from experience. And that's really what they were going for. Yeah. So as a parent, teacher, coach, if that's the Takeaway you need to take away from Columbia's graduate, then take it. Absolutely. We need to lean in. We've got to lead with empathy and realize, especially if we're from a majority race, maybe we've never felt like they have felt. Absolutely. Like you in India and me in Romania. Exactly. Um, so here is the balancing act, and here are the potential blind spots that we might have if we're leaning hard that way. Yeah. Okay, it's unintentional. Yeah. But... Um, my concern is just as real in that the workforce that they're going to join soon will likely be a very eclectic group of people yeah, yeah. and look a little like a classroom or, or than, than their tailored graduation. So it's only, it's, it's, will college feel, oh, that was great. What a great feeling because they worked hard to make everything feel comfortable. Yep. When they, the workforce, no boss is making everything feel comfortable right now. It's, in fact, we got to produce. We got to generate revenue. You yep. get the idea. You yeah. know that. It's almost like we would imagine, what if Columbia University not only did this for graduation, but they also did it for classes? Yeah. They also did it for social interaction yeah. times yeah. and clubs on campus, yeah. and they Find separated everything yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, that, would be, that would be unhealthy, right? Yeah. So uh, again, there's nothing wrong with just doing that for a ceremony, but it can be taken too far, which is the balancing act we're talking about. Fact of the matter is, people come from different income levels, different races, different generations, different genders. And so the balancing act, in short, is simply this. Of course we need to lean in. We should lean in more than we have in the past. Absolutely. But we also need to be thinking about preparation, not yeah. just comfort. Yeah. And say, how can we get them ready for a world that might be not so nice, but they, they've got thick enough skin that they can go out and say, okay, I will find my people, but I'm also going to be just as comfortable saying, I'm going to interact with a person that is so unlike me. I've never met this kind of person before. That's what we're after. Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff wrote a book that when I read it, the, my chief thought was, oh boy, do I wish I'd writ written this book. I mean, I really <laughs> felt that way. Yeah. Um, so Greg Lukianoff is a nonprofit leader. Jonathan Haidt is an incredible ethics professor at NYU. But they wrote this book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And they really underscore this concern that they have. And, and they say, both of us are for um, inclusivity and diversity and so forth. In fact, they, their lives show that. They are really for that. But they just, are we coddling? And will that be uh, turning out a group of graduates that are ill-prepared for, um, for the world? So much of the book is about the mistakes that universities make in their well-intentioned efforts to create safe places for students and to shield them from microaggressions. Uh, but the gap between the campus and the cubicle sometimes is very large. Yeah. All, that's all I'm saying. I know you may want to email me and say I'm mad at you, but I'm really for this. We just got to strike a balance of yeah. getting them ready and getting them comfy. Yeah. So Because the college campus should be a safe place to have conversations, conversations about right. all kinds of different issues so that they're ready for those conversations that they're going to continue to have in life. Yeah, no doubt about it. 
So let's let's kind of summarize this now, Andrew, and then we want to get really practical with how do we strike this balance. So herein lies the struggle for, in my opinion, schools today on this topic. Yes. Um, how can we strike a balance between, number one, you feel safe and can find others you belong to and identify with on the campus. Yes. And two, you feel stretched as you get ready for a diverse and unpredictable world. Yeah. So you feel safe and stretched, safe, stretched, safe, stretched. I just think, oh my gosh, that's good parenting, that's good education, that's good employee uh, or employership, that's good coaching. Absolutely, absolutely. If you think about the, the perspective uh, this could teach to a student, if I feel only safe and never stretched, yeah. then when I get to a, a space outside of the one that you have carefully manufactured for me, I'm not going to know how to navigate it because I haven't had experiences navigating complex conversations, difficult situations. Now, I'm sure Columbia University is doing a good balance of that, but uh, think about it the other way. If I'm always stretched and never safe, then I don't know how to express myself either because That's I've right. never felt like I'm in an environment where I can yeah. open up and be honest about who I am. That's exactly right. That's why both sides, all sides, need this conversation. So I think as a leader, what I've got to think of as a solution is this. I'm sensitive to their unique needs and, big and, I believe they're capable of taking on tough challenges. That's a great balancing yeah, act right there. Yeah, yeah. So sensitivity and I'm, I'm going to really believe the best about them and know you're, you're, you're capable of doing this. Mm. When we hear stories of We've heard stories from coaches, from employers, from educators that get this so right. Their, their students know they are loved, but they also know she's not going to make this easy. Yeah, She's not going to, or he is not going to make this easy on, on Friday night at the football game or whatever it is. Yeah, um, I, I think that's what we have a hard time. We're, we live in such a polarized uh, world right now, and it seems like we find ourselves in extremes the balance seems to be the answer. The answer seems to be in the middle, yeah. and it's both stretched and safe. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why in this podcast, you know, in many podcasts that we do, we say, here's six ideas to get you yeah. started. Yeah. And that's not really something we're going to do today yeah. because yeah. Uh, I think this conversation deserves nuance and it deserves context. And so really that's the challenge with this is a balancing act of sensitive to needs and yeah. also the desire to believe and challenge your students. You as the listener are going to find the unique expression of what this is going to look like in your classroom or in your on your campus or whatever context that you're in. And each of us has to figure this out based on the needs of our students, the context they're in, yeah. and those kinds of situations. And that's really what we're asking for is nuance and creative energy. Yeah. So I have an assignment uh, that I want to throw out. Uh, we have talked before, Andrew, on this podcast about reverse mentoring. Yeah. So let me just, just in case somebody's listening, they don't know what that is. Jack Welch made this popular in the 1990s at General Electric when he was the CEO. He uh, was aware that computers were being introduced into the workplace. They were new, gizmos. Okay, <laughs> gizmos was the word we used. And so his, you know, 60-year-old executive was just going, I, I got my own way, so I'm not going to do this computer thing. So the PC thing wasn't really catching on. However, the 22-year-old young professional that had just graduated college was very familiar with these computers after graduating from MIT or wherever they were. And so he started pairing up the older veteran and the young rookie 
and saying, I want you to meet together. I want you to swap stories. Yeah. So share each other. You're going to find overlap. Yeah. You know, where you're from, what you eat, whatever. You Values, know. all this. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But then share stuff that stuff's not the right word. Share information, share knowledge and insight that the other doesn't have. And you know, you know this, Andrew. I learn from you almost every day I'm with you. I do. And I know you always shrug it off, but it's true. Because being 30 years younger, you just know stuff. And I'm hoping you pick up a thing or two. Maybe it's what not to do. More than a thing or two, Well, I I appreciate that. It it truly is. What Don't do that. But uh, the point is this. What if reverse mentoring were on several levels? Generational diversity. What if you, if you're in your 50s, find a 20-something and meet with them and do this? If you're a male, meet with a female. Or female, meet with a male. Yeah. Uh, If you're white, meet with an African-American or Asian and say... Tell me about your story. Yeah. I've never been there. Andrew, I remember meeting Ricky, who was on our team some years ago. And I remember I took him to lunch, and I just love that guy. I still do to this day. He went on to teach. But Ricky, um, I, I said, tell me what it was like growing up as a black male. He waited for me, and he said, no one has ever asked me that question before. Mm. And I don't think I'm brilliant. But I felt embarrassed for me and yeah. for everybody else that was... I said, Rick, I'm so sorry. And he went on to tell stories. He said, yeah, I, I always know i got to be careful when I'm out. He said, I went up to pick my little sister when I was about 20. She was 14 at the bowling alley. And as soon as I pulled up on the complete police, the police cars just converged upon me. They were sure I was, I was up to something. And I, I said, I'm picking up my sister. Well, that's never happened to me. Yeah. I never, I never had. Yeah. yeah now, it, maybe it should have. <laughs> That's a whole other issue. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm kidding. I'm kidding, listeners. But my point is just talking to Ricky that day, another generation, another uh, ethnicity, uh, it was just good. So find another gender, find another race, find another generation. Yeah. Find another preference, maybe in almost any category. We just get better when we balance safe and... Um, and stretched. Yeah, that's that's the that's the key. Yeah, and a lot of people might be listening to this and going, "I don't know how to navigate. I don't I don't know how to figure out what that balancing act looked like." The answer is what you just said. Yeah, we got to do some listening. We got to yeah. do some seeking out and going, "Hey, I'd like I'd like in our classroom. I'd like in our house. I'd like in our whatever context to figure out what this balancing act looked like. What do you think we should do? You know, give me some context we yeah. don't have. And you don't have to do everything that that person yes. suggests, but get, help let that help bring additional perspective." that help you find the the balance we have said before stories inform strategies that's exactly and right. we're just maybe getting the story here yeah i love that so i actually getting back to the columbia university thing as we kind of wrap up here yeah. i actually know one recent columbia university graduate uh who was a part of this extraordinary experience with six ceremonies um i loved his response to this situation that it was in he kind of kind of balanced it um, he actually requested to participate in one of those ceremonies that was different than the one he was supposed to be in. Because he said, I want to be with people different than me. Now, it was a great conversation. It was very civil. And they ended up saying, no, we need you to go to the one because we have so many seats and yeah. so many yep. you know, moms and dads and so forth. But I just loved his, his desire. Yeah. I want to be with people that are different because yeah. I need to stretch. Yep. I felt safe all my life. I need to stretch. And those that have been stretched all their life, maybe they need to feel safe. You know, maybe that's our, our job with them right now. Absolutely. So, um, listeners, um, I'm going to let Andrew close this out, but I just want to challenge you to rethink maybe where our biases, our prejudices, our ethnocentricities. I actually think, Andrew, more than racist, we do have racism in America, but we have ethnocentricity. Yeah. I, I, I'm always going to see things as a white man because I'm a white male. I, yeah. I can't help myself, but I can learn. Yep. 
And if I can just get past that to learn, then I can be myself. I can add who I am to the mix, but it's a part of a mix. Yeah. So and I understand that. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Well, actually, the f- to close out our time together, I do want to turn it back over to you because there was a, a beautiful example yeah. of what this balancing act looked like on a very complex issue. Oh, my uh, gosh. A yes. conversation that's continuing into the future, and it's not the end by any means. But it, it, it was an important moment in the yes. conversation that represented exactly what this could look like yeah. when we get this right. Well, listeners, you probably know the story I'm about to tell, but maybe not all components of this story. So years ago, it seemed like most of America became aware that football player, quarterback Colin Kaepernick, yeah. during the national anthem, sat down instead of standing at attention, like we've all been tr- yep. told to do. You know, put your headlines. hand over your heart. Yeah. Oh my gosh, national headlines. He's sitting instead of standing. So there was outspoken opinions on both sides. Yes. Good for him, said some. Good for him. He's finally sitting down because he's calling attention to all the wrongs that are in America. Yeah. But of course, there was another large population, particularly military, that said, wait a minute, you're dissing my flag, you're dissing you know, all that my I've anthem, done for this. Yeah. And couldn't you and I both see both sides? Yeah. I think you and I talked about this shortly thereafter. We said, I can see both sides. The story that needs to be told more is what happened that led to a change. So Colin Kaepernick kind of made it be known that this had happened, and he didn't even have to help himself. The story was told. I don't know if everybody's aware of this, but retired Army Green Beret Nate Boyer actually contacted publicly through social media uh, Colin Kaepernick and wrote a very civil, courteous letter to Colin. It was like a public letter to Colin Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, hey, dude, I I understand. You know, I really do. In fact, I've enjoyed defending the very country that you have the right, the freedom to do this. But he said, when you sit down, it feels to me. Now, notice, it just feels badly to me who's given you know, military service. Well, they banter back and forth, and Colin said, oh, that's the last thing I want to do. I have family that served in the military. Yeah. I do love yeah. what this country stands for. But then Nate said, and this was brilliant, he said, I have a suggestion. What if instead of sitting, you knelt down? He said, we in the military, when we take a knee, it means a brother has fallen. Mm. And Colin was like, that's exactly what he, a brother has fallen. Yeah. So... I'm still respecting what the flag stands for. Yeah. But I'm I'm reminding you. Yeah. This has been a hard year. Um what a great what a great coming together yeah. of this military green beret who could beat up anybody yeah. you know, if you wanted <laughs> Definitely to. Definitely me and you. And this football <laughs> player who could beat up anybody. Yep, yep. Instead they come together in civility and this balance of safe and stretched. And yep. they both stretched, I think. And Colin, from that point on, knelt. He didn't sit. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we just we just both felt that might be a great story to say. Maybe this is our model right here. And we're not suggesting, obviously, the the whole issue got solved. In yeah, that that's moment, right. right. Exactly. But I think it yeah. is a sign of what it looks like to go. You know what? Maybe I don't have all the information, and I need to seek out yeah. and find this balance. Uh, of what we talked about between safety and stretching. Um, and I think that our campuses, our classrooms, uh, everything we're leading would be better if we were navigating this balancing yes. act all the yeah. time. 
Well, thanks so much, Tim. Uh, if you're looking for ways to communicate about to students about appreciating diversity, it's a really important sub-competency of social and emotional learning. Understanding other people's perspective, appreciating the differences between people. Uh, it, it is actually included in our Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning program. So we actually teach a competency like um, uh, appreciating diversity, utilizing an image, a metaphor, and a story to create a compelling idea and then challenge students to go out and actually start to practice it in their daily lives, appreciating diversity in the people around them. If you're looking for a way, a model, uh, and in fact, a metaphor to be able to communicate this idea and many others having to do with social emotional learning, I just want to uh, sort of offer up to you Habitudes for Social Emotional Learning. We have a middle school edition as well as a high school edition of the program. In fact, the middle school edition just launched. We're so excited about it. If you want to find out more about this program, head on over to growingleaders.com SEL. You can find out more about it. You can watch some videos about it, but you can also try out a free sample so you can see what it looks like on Habitudes Online, be able to navigate some of the tools on there and get an idea of what it would look like to start teaching some of these concepts to your students in whatever concept or whatever context you're in. We'd love for you to check that out, growingleaders.com slash SEL. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars. That gets the word out about what we're doing uh, here. And if you found this helpful, please go ahead and pass it along to somebody you know. Uh, share it with a friend or whoever you think might might be able to gain from this conversation. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore. Um, pretty much uh, everywhere you are, almost every social media platform. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, whether it's articles you want us to read or topics you want us to cover or people you want us to interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those from you, so please shoot those to us. Tim, thank you so much for challenging us with this conversation today and your wisdom. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ooh.